Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we are your hosts. And today, we are joined by Anne-Marie Everett and Haley Shevener to talk all about Pop Uplifting, which is their company where they educate about pelvic organ prolapse. Um, Anne-Marie Everett is a physical therapist, and Haley Shevener is a personal trainer who works with the, in the perinatal period with women in that period. Um, and they're both amazing, and I just absolutely loved our conversation. They're a wealth of knowledge. Um, Anne-Marie shares a lot about her view on the medical field and both of them talking about personalizing and bringing back you know personal touch to medical care instead of this like sterile one-fits-all kind of prescribed plan um so i thoroughly enjoyed it and i know that you guys are going to as well um before we get to the episode this is our second intro that we are recording for this episode because we did it last week um last wednesday which was january i don't even know sixth and um right after we recorded and we were celebrating and super excited about the Georgia Senate runoff um, and the Democratic sweep of the Senate. Uh, the Capitol was stormed and uh, there was a coup. And so we decided that it was inappropriate and we didn't even want to release an episode. Um, and we didn't even discuss anything because the world is changing so quickly. Uh, so now yeah. we are here again doing it. Um, yeah. back, back to the grind. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it was just one of those things. I, things move so quickly in today's world anyways that, I mean, we were just talking before we turned this back on, like this time a week ago, we were feeling that positivity and then, so you know, excited. and then all of a sudden there was, I couldn't get off of the, uh, the TV for like 48 yeah. hours and I'm still kind of, you know, every day I wake up and I'm like, what did I miss in the past you know, 12 hours while I was asleep. Not that yeah. I sleep for 12 hours, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, know, I wish. I was like, wow, good for you. Right? That would be great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's all to say that there's still a lot of stuff going on. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. There's a lot of white supremacy out there that clearly has come to the forefront that we know is uh, something that we're going to have to keep combating despite uh, the fact that, you know, the Democrats have taken uh, control of the three main parts of the legislature, um, or I guess the, and the, the two main parts branch. of the legislature and the executive branch. We know that the work doesn't stop with that, uh, especially because, you know, it seems like the fights only are going to get harder um, yeah. because people are going to refuse to give up uh, the control that they've had um, and the power that they've had. And that's tough. Uh, but, you know, it's something that we got to keep working towards. Yeah, I think both of us just felt like last week was so was so challenging, and and particularly I I started engaging a little bit on Facebook. I did and, too. And um, yeah, and I just got destroyed. Like I had yeah. added a bunch of people for this campaign that we've talked about a bunch on on the podcast for this film that we were funding, and um, yeah. A lot of fascists, man, and a lot of people coming out of the woodwork, you know, it, like with Facebook's algorithm. And it was it was overwhelming to the point that I significantly shut down because yeah. it was just like, yeah, there's just so there are too 
alternate realities of of the world that people are living in like we are in a bifurcated nation and and consciousness which is just so disturbing um so yes I I 100% agree with you the work continues um this is an ongoing situation and um yeah, we are we are with all of you. We we are excited to be back and we feel like the, this content is super important to just keep talking honestly and openly about sexuality and pleasure um because really that's in the face of this kind of oppression and yes. um yeah, body policing and and just expression policing. Um and so, so we're we're thrilled to keep putting out these episodes. Um, we're gonna keep doing so. And yeah, without further ado, please enjoy. Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited today. We have Anne-Marie Everett and Haley Shevner. Um, they are co-owners of Pop Uplifting and also um, Haley is a strength and conditioning coach, personal trainer, working with women specifically in the perinatal period of their lives. Um, and then Anne-Marie is a pelvic floor physical therapist with a bunch of titles, so I'm going to let her take it away um, on, on what else that she's doing and then we'll launch into uh, their amazing story and uh yeah all the exciting things that they offer oh yeah that's so nice of you I have a couple of letters after my name they're not that exciting but um I'm a doctor of physical therapy and a board certified women's health clinical specialist um but I would probably introduce myself as a musculoskeletal physical therapist who happens to know how to do pelvic exams at this point <laughs> um oh, because okay. I, you know I think that um you know, the women's health clinical specialist title um, ignores a lot of the things that we do actually work with people who don't identify as women and people who identify as men and all of the things that a pelvic health therapist also routinely encounters. So I like to kind of expand that a bit. Um, and I think that ultimately in the end, like a physical therapist who does pelvic floors also probably needs to understand the rest of the body too. So um, sure. that's been something I definitely have worked to expand my knowledge in as well over the last few years, especially. So. Awesome. And so, so you just deal with the pelvic floor or does your practice then encompass more parts of the body? Cause I know that the pelvic floor can be quite time consuming and um, influence, you know, everything else. Yeah. I would say that, you know, on my day to day basis, I will have people coming to me for neck pain, knee pain, back pain, pelvic pain, urinary incontinence, you know, pick a body part and I probably see it on a given day. Um, and so I actually think that after starting very focused as a quote unquote pelvic floor physical therapist, that being thrown into a situation where I have to be uh, an expert for everybody who's coming to get care from me um, has made me a better pelvic therapist. Because I think while the pelvic floor influences a lot of things, I think we are often in a place where we forget that there is a human attached to the pelvic floor. Um, and I think that the work that Haley and I do together tries to take that idea and really make it um, a, a way of understanding prolapse or a way of understanding the pelvic floor to be actually effective and actually patient-centered. And I think that just from a practice standpoint, I've never been a better physical therapist for the pelvic floor as when I've been a better physical therapist for 
actually effectively treating back pain, actually effectively treating hip pain, um, and seeing the person as a whole human and not just a pelvic floor. So um, I think that you know the the focus on just pelvic floor all the time always can be a little myopic and we we're better served by making sure that we ask about what else is going on and we understand what else is going on um because i think as we find with prolapse too we've gotten kind of specifically into that world um a lot of people get lost in the attempts to take care of their prolapse um, and a lot of providers lose sight of the fact that that's one aspect of them as a person that we need to you know make sure we're considering strength and function everywhere else um, as well as how we're caring for that person kind of mentally and, and psychosocially too. I love that you brought all that up because I think that is one of the biggest aspects of our healthcare that's lacking in general as a comprehensive view of people as well. But I would I would say also like uterus having people of like how comprehensive the whole body is, how our mental state is, um, and that that's we like to we do like to be myopic and pick you know one thing and treat that thing and put a label on it and then say like you're fixed um, and you should be feeling way better, right? Uh, so I love that. I want to get into uh, what you both are doing together with um with the pop-up lifting but I do want to touch on uh just a little bit of your backgrounds and so Haley I'd love for you to chat a little bit about like what specifically you do and what brought you to um to do what you're doing specifically with women and with perinatal coaching because uh, I've never talked to anybody who focuses on that especially from like the personal training aspect and I think that's so cool Thanks. Um, yeah, I've been a personal trainer, strength and conditioning specialist since 2005 and originally was uh, just working pretty much with a broad range of people and then found myself pregnant about six and a half years ago and realized that there was a real dearth of information for perinatal people. Um, I was someone who considered myself to be higher on the athletic spectrum than a lot of people seemed to be judging by the information I was able to find. Okay. Um, there was really no information for people who wanted to continue weightlifting, for example, um, or continue okay. running during their pregnancy. Um, and a lot of the information at that time was very focused on, you know, just go swimming or just do gentle yoga. Um, and I didn't really feel like it addressed how different that was from my norm. Mm. And so I started to really dive into that um, purely for my own confusion and <laughs> realized that there was so little information. Um, had a child didn't go the way that I had envisioned it going, which is a common theme for many people. Um, and, sure. <laughs> um, and found myself with some more concerns and even less guidance for how to navigate the postpartum chapter. Um, and so I wanted to be someone that I was really searching for and hadn't found at that point. Um, what's exciting about that is now there are so many of us, you know, when oh, you're mentioning cool. that you've never talked to someone like me, I'm, I'm thinking of thousands of people that I could send to you um, Amazing. to talk to. Um, and so it's been really fun to see um, what that transition has been like. I mean, it's akin to, you know, when I first started training at 24 hour fitness, um, I was one of the only women in the weight room. And now that's so different as well. So sure. 
it really came um, kind of selfishly as a need to find something that I couldn't find at that point. And uh, I realized that there were a lot of people who it really resonated with. So that's kind of how I got to this, this part of what I'm doing now. I love that. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I just turned 30. And so I haven't up until this point even thought about reason, reasonably having children. And so uh, I've been doing this podcast for a while and all of a sudden a bunch of reproductive information has come up. But but what I find the most scary, I guess, or, or, or just the way I hope that I can also contribute is I have so many friends having children or pregnant or whatever. And when I talk about this stuff about like, oh my God, I'm learning this. Like, do you know this? Do you have access to this care? Like you, you need to have awareness that like, postpartum matters and that you're a part of the conversation you know and um blank stares and and just like silence and and so I just love what you guys are doing and I I think it's it's incredible and and it needs to just be shouted from the rooftops quite honestly um and so I'm wondering just to get a little bit more clarity what what was this what did you find and now bring to to women in uh you know in pregnancy and in postpartum that wasn't there it sounded like it was it was people who were more physically fit who wanted to do more exercises in a safe way and then and then make that transition out of pregnancy and into postpartum to maintaining or even losing the weight or whatever and getting your body back into a state that it was is that sort of what I'm hitting on, is that kind of what you were, what you focus on? To an extent, um, to touch on kind of that last statement, um, one of the things that we have really focused on is this idea that we're not aiming to get our body back. Um, That was kind of the messaging that was shoved down my throat Mm. over and over again during pregnancy and postpartum. Um, I have a history of eating disorders as many perinatal people do. And so going through this very rapid, dramatic transition of my body was very bizarre. Um, and there was a lot of focus for me going through it initially, um, feeling like I did have to exercise to then achieve this, um, this version of my body that had somehow like completely disappeared and you know, was no longer relevant. Um, And so we have really tried to move beyond that message and come into a place of, you know, we are navigating this new chapter. There are always new chapters or different iterations of one's body. Um, All of those are valuable. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they won't come without challenges. Um, But, you know, um, really trying to emphasize what we are going through at the present time versus creating a comparison between what I could now do and and what I couldn't do before. Yes. And I, um, I appreciate you calling out that language because, um, I think even without pregnancy, without just natural changes, I struggle in general with just body, um, awareness and positivity of, of accepting wherever I am and, and that that is a part of the journey and that it's okay. And particularly being in the entertainment industry, it is, it is challenging to, um, to maintain that perspective. So thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And so I love to hear how you guys met, but Anne-Marie, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more on your background and what drew you particularly to this field and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, um, so I 
uh, as a planner in life, decided I wanted to be a physical therapist in high school. And so I found myself oh, very directed, whether or not that's healthy, I found myself very directed towards this career for a long time. And I came to it from a place of being a pre-professional ballet dancer for a large portion of my life, speaking of oh, wow. body image and all of that. Um, and and I was like, oh, this is cool. It's science applied with humans. And like, I don't want to be in a lab, but I want to practice science. And this seems like a great place to kind of blend all of those pieces together. Um, and so when I was in school, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be a like professional ballet company physical therapist. And that's kind of like saying you want to be the physical therapist for the Dallas Cowboys. Like there's one person who has that job and they're not going to give that job up. Um, and so I realized I was probably going to have to have a plan B. Um, and at the time I had a couple of friends who were um, in various stages of need of pelvic physical therapy for a couple of different reasons. Um, and one of them reached out to me and said, this is going to sound very strange, but I just saw this person and the whole time I was there, I kept thinking that you would be really good at this. And I was like, that's really weird. And that sounds gross. And thanks. <laughs> I hope you're doing well. And I'm glad you found somebody to help you. Um, and, it, and it kind of was just a little earworm. And I started to think like, well, I like be, being good at things. Like maybe this is something I could find a place for myself in. And Long story short, the more I learned, the more I felt like there was a place for me, um, especially in pelvic physical therapy, as opposed to the wider world of orthopedic physical therapy, which tends to be a little bit of a boys club and tends to be um, a lot of the things that weren't that exciting to me at the time in terms of culture. And, um, and I found a really amazing mentor at the time who was willing to kind of be the boost that I needed to get the the experience and the exposure and the expertise under my belt from a pretty early point. So um, yeah, it kind of snowballed from there and here I am. <laughs> so. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and so what, so then what does your practice look like now? We, you kind of touched on it. It's a, it's a little bit of um, all inclusive, uh, the entirety of the body. And so I'm wondering what does it look like now? And, and also, I, I guess for both of you, like what does COVID, what has COVID done to shift how you're approaching your work, you know, in these, in these crazy unprecedented times? Um, I used to be in like a two woman private practice in San Francisco. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I took a job actually providing on-site physical therapy care for a couple of the large companies around the San Francisco area. So I'm actually now a like contract physical therapist for those companies and their employees to see. Um, and so in a lot of ways, it's exciting because it's more access and people can see me on their lunch break. And all of those things are great in terms of getting people into physical therapy and getting them the results that they want. Um, but I did still kind of keep my hand in that community practice. And I, I, I still have my own um, very casually non-advertised practice um, to see people who aren't part of those companies. Um, and, and even prior to COVID, that was a virtual practice far and beyond. Oh. Um, and so, you know, the one, I hate, I hesitate to try to find things that are called silver linings in, you know, in the last year, but I think that sure. one positive 
um, push that came from a lot of the change in the physical therapy community in the last year has been validating virtual care as a, a really mm. effective um, and in many ways, depending on the person, superior way to deliver care. Um, because I think that had we not been forced to do it, it would have taken another 10 years for the momentum to, to get behind virtual care delivery, um, especially for physical therapy. So I, I'm pleased from that aspect that we have so much more experience with it and we see how much it can help people. Um, and I continue to be a really big advocate for it and I will continue to be even when we're allowed to be um, in clinic together. Just because especially when we're talking about a perinatal population, like mm. you're trying to get care to people who have a two week old baby or I don't care, a six month old baby. It's, it's really hard to get out of the house. It's hard to get childcare and it's hard to keep a baby happy if they're in the office with you, right? And so I think that being able to meet people where they are um, and break down some of those barriers to care, especially for postpartum people is is hugely valuable and i've really um i've really enjoyed being able to give care that way yeah that aspect is something that i i i didn't think of but that uh, yeah i mean everything can happen in our home at our time and and there's something really beautiful about that in terms of my understanding of what specifically pelvic floor physical therapy is and even physical therapy at large, it is in my head a very hands-on approach. And so how does virtual care actually work then? Yeah. So historically speaking, yes, you're right. Um, I think everybody's concept of physical therapy has been you have things done to you by the hands of your physical therapist for 30 minutes, and then you go exercise with them or with somebody else for another 30 minutes and they put a nice pack on your knee for 15 minutes and then you go home, right? That's that's how yeah. this has worked for, for decades. And if you look at the preponderance of evidence, you really see that high value treatment for physical therapy is focused on exercise. It's focused on active interventions. It's focused on um, providing opportunities for self-efficacy with the patient. It's focused on education. And it turns out that the value of manual therapy is actually nowhere close to what we've all been led to believe that it is, um, in that it can actually detract from the time that we could be using for things that are really high value. Um, and it could be, in fact, perpetuating narratives that are really kind of damaging about our, how bodies work and what our role is in health mm -hmm. and in pain management and even what pain is and what causes it. And so I think that the, the manual therapy question I could talk for another two hours about because it is so, uh, I think, so much of a linchpin in the way that physical therapy is working and a conversation that's been happening over the last 10 years or so with increasing frequency um, about what is the value we're really offering people. And I think that the value of physical therapy is not manual therapy. And I think we have enough evidence at this point to be really confident when we say that. Um, and it means that virtual care really forces our hand in saying, oh, oh, I have to do the things that are actually valuable. I have to do the things that are active and that are conversational and that are getting to know my patient um, and to getting them to participate really actively in this process. Um, and so it, again, for better or for worse, forces us to stop spending time on the feel good stuff or the stuff that makes me as a physical therapist look like I have magic hands. 
um, and really spend the time on the hard stuff, but maybe the stuff that in the long run is, is far more effective. So, And then in terms of the pelvic floor then, I imagine your um, your the way that you're treating it, and maybe you guys can talk about this when we get into your collaboration as well. But there can be like digital stimulation and and, and that kind of manual therapy. And so, is in your opinion, is there benefit to that particular aspect of it? Or it, has there been studies that you've seen and, and personal experience that's shown that there are other ways that can be more useful to address those kind of concerns, like incontinence and, and whatever, pelvic organ prolapse? Yeah, um, I would say that the gold standard for gathering information about how somebody's pelvic floor works is still very much intravaginal or intrarectal examination, having somebody do strength testing with you there to feel what's happening, right? And so I'll never deny that it's nice to have that information, but is it necessary? Um, I don't know. Uh, There are certainly people where I'm ready to say, okay, you need to come in person. And luckily I have that option if I need to kind of pull that lever. Um, But I think that if we get very good at questioning, if we get very good at listening, then yeah. we get what we need to. Um, and we're not distracted by what we might find that isn't actually that important. So, you know, if you, okay. if, if you asked me what the ideal situation would be, it's that I would get at least a chance to do one pelvic exam with all of my clients to really be able to speak confidently about what I see or feel. Um, but in terms of, you know, is it necessary? Probably not for the vast majority of people. Um, And is it necessary for pain treatment to be able to do intravaginal massage or massage of any kind? The answer is no. Um, And so I think, you know, there's there's probably a middle ground. um, And when we're allowed back in person, and that's a safe option for people, I'm not going to say, oh, I'll never do another pelvic exam again. But I do think that. it's an interesting uh, critical thinking exercise to have your hands tied behind your back at this point. So, yeah, no, I uh, no, and I appreciate that. And I think, you know, I, I think that is one of the positive aspects of COVID is like forcing all of us to get really clear on like, what are we doing? How are we doing it? How do we want to do it? And what are our available options in this moment that we can pivot into that's reasonably going to be very integral in the future, right? Like the world has changed for good. Um, and and dependent on how much we get back to whatever the idea of normal is, it it's always going to be be different for sure Um, and then Haley has your practice changed uh for COVID if to me it seems like it could easily pivot and and especially from what Anne-Marie was saying um I don't know if you were already doing virtual stuff but has COVID impacted you a lot it has significantly uh (laughs) I was not previously working virtually um how well with the exception of I would see consults of people I would see people for consults um, if they were not local to me Um, but it was not like part of my business Um, my I mean the vast majority of my client base uh, continues to be parents and many of those parents most of those parents lost all of their child care 
Um, their kids were no longer occupied in school, which is the same uh, situation that I'm in. Yeah. And so I went from seeing a significant number of people, probably too many people a week, to very few people a week, which, you know, um, definitely forces you to get very specific, like you're saying, and clear yeah. on what it is that you're doing. Um, in terms of exercise, I mean, I was never putting my hands on someone with the exception of like, maybe with permission, a, a cue if, if it was helpful to kind of guide someone in some direction. Um, so I, I didn't lose the ability to kind of, you know, I was not doing any physical assessments with someone that would require me to touch them. Um, I met with a couple new clients, we can run through the same types of things that I would be doing. Um, but you know, it's definitely challenging. There are people in their living rooms and the idea of finding movement in places that are not the stereotypical gym setting, um, it's a different vibe for people. And you know, it requires us all to kind of be a little bit more mindful of like, what is the angle of the camera? And sure. you know, what are, what equipment do you have in your house? Okay, nothing. All right, well, we're gonna use the chair. And, right. you know, that can be amazing. And I love that. Um, and, you know, a lot of the movement from our program is very based on the idea that people do not always have access to conventional exercise tools and that we can always find things to utilize, whether that's a bag of flour or your child's backpack filled with books or something. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's different and yeah. it's, it's very helpful to be able to kind of navigate that path. And I'm, I'm grateful that part of my training was kind of incorporating this idea of creativity and being able to use what we have available to us. Um, but, you know, it's, it can be frustrating for people, um, especially if you are being frequently interrupted by your child. It is not the, you know, what we used to think of as like, okay, well now this person has an hour to themselves right. and, we can kind of focus on whatever is going on in their life that is stressful. Well, we can focus on it because it's right there. <laughs> and, you know, someone has their, I mean, my child is on the screen half the time and sure. you know, needs a snack. And uh, so that has definitely been uh, a significant challenge um, that, you know, you, you make the best with what you have, but uh, it definitely looks different. I don't know what it will look like going forward. Um, but you know, I think that for the people who I am still consistently seeing, um, we're able to make do with what we have. I mean, the other problem was like, people could not get access to equipment because everybody had purchased it all. Yeah. And it so really even quick. if you like wanted to work out, stuff. right. It was, <laughs> even if you wanted to get something like people were asking me, what can I get? And I have all these great suggestions, but all of it is sold out. So Got it. You know, sure. um, yeah. there are, you know, many, many challenges involved, but we're trying to do the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm, uh, I, I'm sorry that you've lost clients. I imagine that's so difficult. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, I'd love to hear about how you guys met and, and then what pop uplifting is, uh, and yeah, how you're working together in your collaboration. Which one of us should start? Oh. <laughs> yeah, whichever. Okay. Um, so my best recollection is that Haley and I kind of orbited around each other in the same sort of professional circle for some period of time before we converged and, you know, shared a client and communicated about what we were doing with them. Um, and then realized that we also liked each other's company a lot. And so it became, it was a friendship first based around this kind of shared interest and um, 
And then I think I probably volunteered to help you with like an infographic or something that you wanted to build. Um, and it sounded quite small and, and here we are <laughs> however many years <laughs> later. So it, it felt like something that definitely was never uh, originally this scope. Um, but I'm very, uh, very happily pleased that it turned into what it did. And I think it speaks to um, the momentum we were able to build when we were both in the same room tackling this kind of shared problem of, you know, there is not a resource that does what we need it to do. Um, and there, even personally, I was sitting there thinking, there are questions that I have that I need answers to. And and I don't feel like I've had the preparation or the um, the resources to be able to actually treat the people that I'm treating in the way that I want to. Um, and so I, I think that the the scope or the um, the breadth of what we ended up with really speaks to kind of our ability to collaborate to fill that need. Um, and I, I love that we come to it from these two very similar but also distinct enough perspectives that we can address um, I think most completely these these problems and these questions that we're encountering for people. Yeah and so what is the problem and the the need that you're addressing where the questions weren't answered and, and resources were unavailable? Um, yeah, yeah so you said like yeah. prolapse which I'm um, sure you're familiar with at this point it sounded like you had spoken about it before yeah. um so we're you talking... can give me a little definition anyways just for anybody who didn't listen sure listen. we're essentially to put it as simply as possible we're looking at the descent of pelvic organs um and what the problem is that oh there are so many problems one of the problems Tell me, I'm here for is that, uh, <laughs> the way that we have traditionally approached pop pelvic organ prolapse pop, um, is just really crappy, uh, really crappy, just trash, garbage, garbage, trash, crap, uh, in the sense that <laughs> it has She's been so far, <laughs> yeah. so far from a person-centered approach, so far from a message of resilience, uh, empowerment, although that, you know, buzzword kind of buzzes around, we're going to throw it in there. Um, or anything that resembles, um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? A, a realistic approach that is encompassing of the person. Um, so to give kind of a little background on how I kind of found myself in this place was it happened to me and I had no idea what was going on. All of the information I found on Google was incredibly, um, frankly devastating. It was very focused on how, you know, this I was, as this previously athletic person, I was never going to lift anything over 10 pounds again. Um, I should really stay off my feet and do nothing but, you know, some gentle walking here and there if I could tolerate it. Um, and it was very focused on kind of preserving what like fragile, um, you know, existence I had left now that I, you know, had realized that my organs were sitting a little bit lower. And it was really frustrating to see that and to um, to really internalize that. I started this kind of journey into the pop world really believing all of that and believing that um, I wouldn't be 
able to do uh, the things that I really loved doing um, and that I needed to do for work. And, you know, it really sent me through this tailspin of identity and trying to figure out like, well, should I just quit my job? Um, you know, what, what can I do now? And I started a group on Facebook uh, because I started to connect with people um, over the internet about these kinds of things. I tend to be um, kind of a vocal sharer. And so I connected with a bunch of people um, through this Facebook group called Pop Fitness. It grew and grew and grew. There are thousands of people on there right now. And every story was very similar or had these thematic elements that continued to repeat. And um, it was the same messaging of like, I looked online, I'm devastated, what can I do? Um, and it felt so different from what I had been doing in terms of the exercise stuff that I had been doing with my clients in terms of, like, I had been really trying to promote this idea that, you know, wherever you are is okay, we can move into this direction um, that you say you want to. We could, these are the progressive steps. This is how we do it. It's very logical to an extent. Um, and, you know, we leave room for the changes that happen in life, but, you know, there's a process to it and it's, it's relatively straightforward. And then as soon as pop came into the picture, it was like none of that existed. Mm -hmm. And there was no longer progressive overload. There was no longer these basic fundamental concepts of, of exercise. It was just, well, now you have prolapse and everything is different. Um, and it didn't feel right to me as I tried to navigate going back to exercise that I really enjoyed. And I was very fortunate to connect to a couple people who became friends and mentors who were like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe we should question these ideas and question this messaging. Um, and that led me on this journey of really being very critical of the messaging that we give, because I know firsthand how detrimental it can be. Um, you know, it didn't just make me feel bad about my capacity to exercise. It made me not want to be a parent. And it made me frustrated that, you know, I found myself in this position that I would never have chosen to be in because it was such a low point. And I knew that I was not alone in those feelings and that there were so many people um, who were similarly not able to enjoy their children or enjoy their partners or enjoy their, you know, existence because they felt so, um, so stuck in this position that they were in. So, I forget what the question was, but um. you're doing great. No, I love I love your journey. I, it was it was asking about um, the problems that you were addressing in sure, and the yes, yeah the great. niche. <laughs> no, Fabulous. no, I love all so, of yeah, this. I, I mean, the yeah. problem was that we were speaking about prolapse and more specifically people about prolapse as if their goals no longer cease to exist, um, as if they didn't get to have an opinion on what they did. It's very, it's, it's very like, you now cannot do this. You should never do this. Um, you will never do this. And it was like, well, first of all, we know from an exercise standpoint, like I have, you know, at the time I have 30 clients a week that I'm seeing, okay, well, I, all of them are different. And we're start, I'm starting them from all of these different spaces. And to say that this person and this person have the exact same scenario now, because one variable has changed. Um, it just didn't make sense. And that message was so pervasive and it was the only one that was available. And it was the only one that, that anyone was hearing at that time. And so I wanted to be really loud about a different option, um, that had been working for me and that had been feeling really great. And that made a lot of sense physiologically. Um, and 
that I saw other people succeeding with as well. But there's such a stigma attached to pelvic floor concerns, um, to vaginas, to all of these issues that people were afraid to talk about it. And people were embarrassed to share their stories, their success stories, their stories where they now felt better. They didn't feel miserable every day. Um, and I just didn't have a filter and wasn't embarrassed. And so I decided I was just going to keep talking about it. And uh, so I think the main message, you know, when I think about pop-up and our work, I think about returning to, um, to that message that the person that you're working with or the person that is going through our course is the person that matters the most and their opinion on what they want to do and what is meaningful to them is going to trump anything that I might think is relevant in this space. Um, or that Anne-Marie thinks, or that they're, you know, care providers. Like, we need to really go back to understanding the person that we're working with. And so our course was a return to that. Um, and I, I say return, but I don't know that that was actually ever happening. Um, so right. it was a novel idea to consider <laughs> that someone taking our course who experienced pelvic organ prolapse was more than their pelvic floor. Got it. Um... Okay, I want to delve into what the approach is and what the course is, but I want to talk a little bit more and highlight that pelvic organ prolapse, from what I understand, can affect anyone. So it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're you are overweight or underweight or you're fit or you're not fit. Um, and it can also happen to all gender expressions, right? It, I mean, it's not just a female thing. It, it can come from uh, our uterus having person thing. It, it, yeah, I, I kind of just want to get into a little bit of the scope because I think that there is stigma around it. And and I think we put into categories of like, oh, well, it only happens to these people. Um, and, and I don't think that that's true. Yeah, so it can happen in specific like rectal prolapse, for example, can happen with any anatomy. So you have both male anatomy and female anatomy expressing rectal prolapse. So um, that's kind of one specific part. But when we're talking about bladder prolapse, uterine prolapse, or rectocele, which is a little bit different than a rectal prolapse, we see that only in vagina having people because okay. there's kind of uniquely this predisposition to pressure goes down, there happens to be an opening those things can prolapse towards that opening in the space provided. So the physics okay. of male anatomy don't allow for that in the same way. So we really okay. see it as kind of, if you have a vagina, you have a predisposition to this. And if we look at statistics of people who are postmenopausal, it is abnormal to not have some degree of pelvic organ descent, simply mm -hmm. because hormones, gravity, pressure, life, anatomy all kind of converge at that point whether or not it's bothersome is a different story but if you surveyed a bunch of vaginas that were over the age of 65 you would see that essentially nobody has everything in the zero position but one of the reasons why the people we work with with pop-up are heavily perinatal is because there's this time of huge flux around pregnancy and especially vaginal delivery, but not exclusively vaginal delivery either. So pregnancy itself is kind of the leading risk factor for developing prolapse that's symptomatic okay. and bothersome. Um, but again, can happen to anybody with, especially with a vagina. Um, and we certainly have many 
members, users, community members who have never been pregnant nor are planning to be pregnant and still are um, dealing with many of these issues. Got it. Um, thank you for that clarification. And so then what is your approach and your course? What what is the what do you guys bring to the table in terms of the messaging, but then also putting it into practice? Yeah, we have a very strong belief that education is incredibly powerful, and that can be education about how the body functions, education about um, how our brain processes information, education about the process of prolapse or the process of pregnancy, birth, anything. Um, that education is really necessary in, in most circumstances, in many circumstances. Um, and can be really beneficial and impactful. And so what we found is a lot of people um, are looking for information. You know, they are so desperate to find answers. And so they're getting answers from just random sources on Google that may or may not have this lens that really understands this idea that this person is a whole person and needs to be spoken to as such. Um, and so our idea primarily is creating education that really sees um, the person for who they are and understands that that quest for knowledge is valid and, um, and that we can provide that very easily through a course platform in a way that we were both struggling to do in person. Um, even if I'm working with someone um, as a personal client, this has happened many times, I will often link them to the course because frankly, I said it better then than I will say it in person now. And I, cause I spent a lot of time making sure sure. that it sounded good and, uh, or that it was like digestible. Um, and there's just so much that some people want to know. Some people don't want to know. There's, there's so much there, um, that we wanted to make sure that there was a unified place where people could find, uh, that information in a way that made sense to them. You didn't have to be a healthcare professional. You don't have to have a background in fitness. Um, a lot of the modules are about just basic exercise. It is baffling to me that we do not receive that level of information, um, really basic fundamental information in like PE class. Like I remember writing book reports on like the history of swimming, which is fine. But like, I was not interested in the history of swimming, nor do I care to know the history of swimming, but it would have been really helpful to understand uh, intensity in exercise prescription. And that would be really helpful for someone who just casually likes to go to the gym every now and then and makes it so much easier to then take that message yourself and do with it what you want. And so the idea of the course is not so much that it's this prescriptive path that you must go on and you have to follow this methodology that we've created. Um, there really is no methodology <laughs> that we have created, um, which is the secret. And, um, you know, there are there is some exercise prescription there. There, there are endless suggestions, um, whether they are from lived experience or from research. Um, a combination of all of those things. Uh, but, you know, it is not designed to be prescriptive. It is designed to be a kind of choose your own adventure. Apply this as you will. Have it make sense in this aspect of your life and probably see crossover into other areas as well. Um, and, and yeah, so I'd say that the, the vast majority of our objective is to provide people with really excellent education that, um, that people were not able to access uh, previously in this way. 
And so did you find that through doing this that your your hunch is in fact true that to treat it like you're now in a totally different category where you can no longer use your body in the same way ever again is is that false like have you been able to have different results with additional education with these additional suggestions and resources yeah, I mean, I would say that's incredibly false for the vast majority of people and circumstances yeah. uh, that you are always inherently limited because of this thing. Um, I think what we gathered was, you know, a little confirmation uh, bias <laughs> inducing and in that everyone's experience is different sure. and that um, there is a broad spectrum of experience and symptoms that people have or don't have, uh, things that people feel comfortable doing or not doing. Um, and we've seen people express to us at least, and there's no real incentive to express this to us because we don't have any kind of program, but <laughs> we haven't been like giving people Starbucks gift cards for like positive <laughs> views, but you know, that will express to us that they have found a lot of peace or acceptance or success mm. in terms of being able to return to different things that they had done before or trying new things that have become really exciting to them. And so I would say that we, um, you know, when you, I feel, and this is a very biased perspective and I will be the first to admit it, but I feel very strongly that when you take in all of the information, when you read all of the research and more importantly to me, when you listen to people um, that you will arrive at the same conclusion. Like to me, there is no other conclusion. Part of that is because we discuss a lot of different conclusions. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, we didn't say this is right. Um, and we were very, very specific about that because we don't know what's right for you. Um, but we know that there are some, there are choices and there are options and there are things that you can try and that that is really important to know because when you're in the, the like depths of feeling like you have nothing left and you just don't know what to do, the idea of something, an option to try is so mm -hmm. powerful. And then for people who have been told again and again and again by healthcare providers, by Google, by their peers that are also experiencing this, that they could never do these things, um, being able to hear something different and do something different is, is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think from my perspective, uh, it is not lost on me that I am a participant in a system that created this problem. And, and I, and I don't have any illusion that, you know, that there was an issue before physical therapy got involved and we're just trying to solve it. it we created this problem um, with, with the best of intentions. I think medicine and physical therapy, I can speak to personally, um, forgot that people were involved um, and forgot to um, kind of consistently be challenging beliefs um, and to be able to effectively and consistently integrate new information and i think that what the moment we're at right now is a symptom of all of that um and and i certainly as a a contributor to what we built together i did not come to it saying oh i have some knowledge that i'm going to share now and i'm going to build this program with this knowledge it was me coming to it saying i don't know what to do because i see that what i was taught to do isn't working 
and it makes me feel gross saying it. And I don't actually believe it, but I don't know what else is out there because I'm supposed to know. I'm supposed to be the authority here. Um, and I don't feel like it and I don't know where to go. Um, and so the process of building pop-up was the process of me from my end of things being educated in the way that I wish I had been. Um, and so for me, the journey has been less about, um, you know, my personal experience with prolapse and more about um, me trying to, to make sure that my profession continues to be better um, and continues to be a, a positive and not a net negative force for the people that we're trying to help. Because I think with the uh, somewhat sloppy execution that we have been guilty of over the decades, um, it's not always a given that we were helping people. <laughs> and I think we were digging people into a worse place. Um, and so I come to it from a, a, a point of really um, being really grateful for the experience of being able to be a better clinician at the end of this process and continuing to try to be better. Um, but looking at it, you know, building our pro course that's not oriented towards people with prolapse, it's oriented towards providers who work with it. Um, as again, another effort to give people what I wish that I had had um, and to challenge people in the ways that I wish I had been challenged earlier to try to make mm -hmm. sure that we can do better for people. Yeah, I love I love you mentioning that. And, and Haley, I appreciate you sharing your personal journey with it. It's so, um, yeah, I just feel really grateful to be able to listen and, and to share it because it's it's powerful and, and really important to hear. Um, and and Anne Marie, that your your comment actually brings me to the next point, which is, well, twofold. I'm curious where where you're hoping to take this, like in in the larger scope over over the next you know decades and whatever that you're able to participate, but also this larger question of of healthcare providers and how we treat women's health, um, and and how we do have these conversations about uh, you know bringing the person back into into the treatment, which sounds like it's a big focus of what you're doing, um, but these are larger. You you know, particularly when we're talking about healthcare within the United States, that's just like a total shit show. Um, you know, these get into like much larger issues of like how do we how do we start to to personalize things and allow people to be different and get the care that they need in in, in all aspects. That I, was a big question. I, was gonna say, I certainly uh, <laughs> lay awake at night asking myself that question. I don't know. Mm. I, I, in terms of our direction forward, I think that there's certainly room to grow pop up, and we know how we might want to do that. And I think it's a, it's an iterative process. It's us learning from what we did before and and improving on that, product wise and in message wise. Um, I think you know, 2020 was not the year that it was supposed to be in terms of those changes and that progress. And, um, you know, I don't think we're, we're done with it. I don't think that this product lives set in stone forever in the way that it currently stands. But I think you're right in that, you know, I, I wish there wasn't a need that we were trying to fill. I wish there wasn't some giant gaping hole that we're desperately trying to plug with an Instagram account. Like that's not 
how this should be. <laughs> um, so, um, and I, you know, it's, it's one of 10 questions about physical therapy that I'm worried about and talk about with my, you know, my trusted colleagues and complain about most of the time. And, and I think that I, I don't know the answer. Um, I, I think that the best I can do personally is try to be the best clinician I can be and tell people to share the messages that I hope to convey with the people that they know. And the only, you know, your best advertisement are the people who are successful and feel empowered and feel like they have a reason to share it with other people. Um, and going back to the, the manual therapy question, right? Like if everybody says, oh, I went to go see this person, she cracked my back and now my pelvis is magically better, then that's what you're gonna expect if you go see them. But if you said, oh, I went to go see this person, whether it's a fitness professional or a physical therapist, and they listened to my story, I felt heard, they asked me what I wanted to do, we made a plan, I was a participant in making the plan, and they're meeting with me to keep me on top of this plan and helping me adjust what I need to do. And it took work, but gosh darn it, like I'm in such a better place. If that becomes the expectation of what care is, um, and you share that with friends, I think there's, there's also the potential to make that a groundswell of momentum in the right direction. But it is really, really frustrating to be part of medicine yeah. most of the time for me. Yeah, I can imagine. And Haley, do you have a, a vision for, for where you'd like to take this in, in your work? Yeah, I mean, I always come back to, you know, when we're defining liberation or when we're thinking about the concept of liberation, there's this tendency for us to be fighting against oppression or fighting against something. Um, and I think we did that I know I did that a lot early on in the messaging of like, it was very reactionary. I was very angry at what I was seeing. I felt very hurt um, and frankly traumatized by what I had been reading. And so the message was a very like counter message. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you're really working through, okay, well, what, what is my vision of liberation? You start to piece together. Okay. Well, it is like, we've been talking about a person-centered approach. It, uh, really values lived experience, it values listening, it values um, critical thinking, all of these pictures start to come together. And that becomes um, this kind of vision for what the course should feel like, or what I would love for it to feel like, um, as it continues to develop and as our message continues to grow. Um, we've you know, throughout the last several years, we've had many conversations about like all of the cool shit that we could do. Um, and sure. <laughs> there is still that to be done. Um, but fundamentally it is like, what is, for me, it's, what does it feel like? Um, what is the feeling that people get when they go through it and how do we get it closer, nudge it closer to this feeling of, um, you know, that people feel empowered or they feel, uh, like they have direction and they feel like they can trust themselves again, um, and do not have to be reliant on us or the course um in order to like get permission to be able to do whatever it is that they want to do um you know and so we're really lucky with the social media aspect of things um and that that is such a like clear avenue to connect people mm -hmm. because you know it is difficult to have conversations sometimes in person even if you are working with someone i would find out months later once someone finally felt comfortable talking to me um some of these symptoms would come up and 
you know, even if you have great rapport with someone, it can be challenging. And social media tends to break down a lot of those barriers for people. And so, um, you know, we, as, as everything continues to develop, I love seeing um, the ability to connect with people uh, on that level and have, you know, not so much the messages, but just the ideas, the conversations. Um, I picture it, my ideal vision of this whole process is we're all sitting together having a conversation about what we think, um, challenging each other in really respectful and kind ways um, so that we can all kind of arrive at a, a different, um, more developed idea that is more inclusive and helps people the way that I think most of the people in this field really want to help people. Sure. Um, man, I could keep going. This has been so fascinating. There's so much to talk about here. So I am appreciative of you guys sharing so much of your time. Where can people find you on social media and find your information if they're interested in, uh, you know, pop up or and or both of you guys and what you're doing? So our, our website, <laughs> I know I was, gonna, I was actually just going to pull up our Instagram because I always forget what it is. Um, our website is popuplifting.com. Our Instagram is at popuplift, not lifting. Okay. Great. Somebody must own the other one. <laughs> no, it's, we did we not talk about it? I messed up. Oh. I forgot the password and then oh, I got myself locked yeah, out. Okay. And then so yeah, you it was, own it too. It's always my I do. Cool. I do. I just don't have access. Great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no problem. It, it has not served uh, to be a barrier in the past, so I don't care. Um, but yeah, our website is great. It has a ton of information um, and links to all the things. It has a directory map that is searchable of all the people who self-identify as being a pop-up pro. So they're connected with oh. the course or they've completed the course. Um, we wanna make sure that those, most of them are small business owners or independent um, business owners. Yeah. Like they get a shout out too, cause they are a lot of our community for sure. Um, and our Instagram account has a lot of really good stuff. It has free content um, that we hope, I think, conveys the messages that we're trying to in the course. And I think gives a people a preview of what we stand for and the ideas that we promote. And um, yeah, we have a lot of good free stuff out there too. Amazing. Uh, well, both of you are so inspiring and I seriously am so grateful for your time. We'll put the website in the show notes as well, but this has been so awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. Oh, All right. Um, that was amazing. I'm obsessed with both of them. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I've gotten really excited about getting called out or corrected on these episodes too, which has been happening more often. And it, it's amazing because I feel like it's just an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to correct, like, you know, some, I think just, uh, things like automatically come out of my brain without me thinking about them because I haven't really taken the time to question them. So um, I'm grateful for Haley for for the feedback and for the corrections and, and for both of their point of view. I just, um, this is an important conversation and, and I feel so much gratitude to bring them on and to be a part of it in some small way. Yeah, no, I think that that's really important too. I mean, I think hearing... Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've talked to you about this off mic, but I think that, that is really important where like, you know, 
for me to hear someone get corrected and, and take it in a gracious way and say, oh, this is an opportunity for me to learn. I think that's important for everyone to be like, oh, this is how you can uh, try to grow and yeah. uh, and listen to what other people have to say um, without having to get defensive about it. So Well, um, and that it's an, it's an always evolving process, yeah. right? Like we're not we're never going to be perfect or at the like completely learned place where like we know everything. I mean, that's just unrealistic. Of and course. especially like the the ethos of the podcast is learning and bringing people on and and getting more information and just getting really curious so um thank yeah. you for that and and yeah i i welcome it um even if sometimes it, it does feel like <laughs> you know yeah. it's a little bit dark for sure um, i mean i think back to the, the things that i thought were okay in like you know 15 years ago and i'm like i can't believe that that was yeah. commonly accepted and yeah it's all part of the growing process yeah um well as always please follow us on social media we are on facebook and instagram at finding my yum podcast uh slide into those dms we're always looking for new uh guest recommendations also we are debuting on youtube this episode will be the first 2021 so find us on youtube uh finding my yum we're super excited to to start sharing on that platform and we'd love for you to join us yeah, if you uh, have any other suggestions and prefer to email us, you can do that at findingmyyum at gmail.com. Um, and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere at this point. So um, <laughs> take those little share buttons and share with some friends. Uh, and let's keep growing this community. Yeah. Um, we love you. Happy 2021. We're excited to be back. And we've got so many exciting episodes coming up for you. So stay yummy. Stay excited. Woohoo.